Welcome to When Pigs Fly. We're uncovering Cincinnati's rich business history from the 1800s to today. We talk to companies to learn the ups and downs of entrepreneurship, what it takes to grow a successful business, and to simply post future innovation. I'm one of your co-hosts, Patrick Bailey. And I'm your other co-host, Ellie Martin. And today, we are talking with Victor Gutwein of M25, a venture capital firm that focuses on investing in startups here in the Midwest. Loving this venture capital talk. And I know I've said it before, and I'm going to say it again. I'm still learning. I have lots of questions. I hey, can't be the only you're one You're already it. way ahead of where we were at last time. You're already calling it venture <laughs> capitalism in a last go around this time. So we're good. We're good. <laughs> <laughs> but, I, but I look forward to hearing his perspective as to why the focus on the Midwest and his perspective as to what he might see here as an opportunity and growth specifically in our tri-state and in Cincinnati. Exactly. And he has made six investments in Cincinnati startups, which, you know, is very, you know, disproportionate compared to other investments across the Midwest that they have made. So, you know, he truly does love Cincinnati, you know. And Cincinnati history. Yes, yes. I've talked to him about this multiple times, you know, uh, at 1215 uh, Wine and Coffee Bar. Shout out to Mm -hmm. earlier guests. But, Uh you know, he loves, you know, our history, what we've got going for us. We don't exactly have a history fact today. Sorry, sorry, audience. Just Uh, the fact that he loves history is is (laughs) That's our history fact. (laughs) (laughs) We'll make up for it in subsequent episodes and talk some more history soon. But, you know, I'm super excited to have him on and get his perspective about where we can go as a city. All right. So with that, let's bring him in. Welcome, Victor. Go ahead and uh, give us an intro into M25 and yourself. Awesome. Thanks for having me. This is a lot of fun to be on here. I'm a huge fan of what you guys are doing. Um, Huge fan of Cincinnati, as everybody knows. Uh, (laughs) I'm Victor, founder and managing partner of M25, and we're the most active early stage VC fund in the Midwest. Uh, We're based out of Chicago. I'm from Indiana, uh, but we invest basically from Pittsburgh to Kansas City, to Minneapolis. Uh, I have six investments in the Cincy metro area, and we are tech and digital software-oriented investors, and we invest very early, sometimes as early as like the idea or kind of like the beta stage, all the way up to maybe a million dollars in ARR. So yeah, we we are investing in innovation in, in this region. So why did you want to get into the world of VC? I... I started off kind of as this founder and tinker. I actually, I had a couple different failed startups as early as, as middle school. I had a bubblegum vending machine. So you were always an entrepreneur. That's awesome. A bubblegum vending machine. In college, I did a scooter startup. I had a scooter startup before those were all, were all the rage. Oh, this and is so good. Oh my I know. Gosh. And we, and we failed, but I got, in, I learned about venture capital in college through kind of that scooter startup. And I fell in love with that, with venture capital as a concept. I didn't know what it was beforehand. And when I when I heard that this was a career opportunity, I'm like, I get to work yeah. with founders. I get to invest in what's the future. 
Um, so you flipped the script a little bit rather than being. Yeah. I mean, part of it, I didn't really have any good ideas. As, as was, <laughs> what do you mean? The bubblegum vending machine wasn't a brilliant idea? I no. think that's great. <laughs> Are all investors failed startup founders? <laughs> um, probably probably a, a more, than, more than care to admit, I'm sure. <laughs> oh, yeah. Back when I was an operator. Company. <laughs> that's hilarious. But uh, yeah, so I just, I mean, I, I, it's a great job. I get to work with people that are so, like brilliant, sometimes semi-delusional. I mean, you have to be kind of ready yeah. to face and change the future and kind of keep going up against people that, you know, would prefer you to just have a safe corporate job. And, you know, that's, that's who I get to work with and, you know, rapidly growing, rapidly failing, yeah. rapidly burning money, like all sorts of crazy stories. And so my, my, my life is, yeah, it's, it's a, uh, it's a wild ride. I imagine you're a little bit of like a therapist along the way too, because like you said, everything is so up and down and the future is always so unknown, but you're taking crazy risks or other people are taking crazy risks with you along the way. Oh, even, even the best outcomes have all have had several near death experiences or, you mm. know, kind of boardroom drama or having to deal with a bad founder or partner or employee or, you know, like having to, oh, our, our largest customer isn't paying or like, you know, deciding not to re-up. Like these are happening all the time, even in, even in like the best situations, yeah. let alone, you know, let alone the things that, that don't go so well. So yeah, it's, it's a lot of, it is, it's an empathetic job, which is actually a skill I feel like I've acquired versus mm. had uh, going into it. As an entrepreneur, you have to be, you're so driven that sometimes it's hard to turn that off. So let's yeah. go. So what's the inception of M25? What what started that whole like, okay, yeah. I'm going to start a VC fund. So I had that brief experience as an undergrad when I was on the founding board of a student-run venture fund. I really like that. And then there's no immediate path coming out of undergrad to get into venture capital. It's a struggle. Mm. There is a little bit nowadays, but it's still really hard. So I went into corporate strategy. And a couple of years after that, I had kind of convinced enough of my family and friends to back me in my first fund in 2015. This was a $1 million fund, which in, in, in venture capital, it's very tiny. That wouldn't really be called a fund. That's like a micro, micro, <laughs> micro, micro fund. Micro fund. I, in hindsight, I call it like the beta fund. And we were trying to prove out that there's opportunities in this region, that we can get access, that we can get deal flow, we can evaluate and then help these startups. But it was, that was a slog. Um, along the way in that first fund, I did get to meet my partner, Mike, who joined. I joined about nine months in. And then we did our first close on fund two a year into, after after the first kind of $1 million fund. And, you know, we've been growing it ever since. So with this fund, and I think most people at this point know that I am not the venture capital guru. Venture so capitalism. She, Victor, she calls it venture cap capital capitalism. capitalism. <laughs> I said that the first time. I've learned. It's like Porsche versus Porsche. It's Porsche. Yeah. I digress. So when you talk about these funds, right? So you had a $1 million fund to start, and you're saying – you were able to, is it, is it kind of like fundraising at that point in time? And then you take that $1 million and then invest it in, into the, the businesses that you see fit? Yeah. I mean, so is we that raised, silly? Is that a stupid question? No, I mean, that's, yeah, we're, we're, we raise money from investors that would like to see us then invest it into high okay. potential investments. And they're investing in one entity that we invested 
and then a lot of different companies kind of spreading it for your portfolio. It. Yes. Okay. So that, yes, I'm on the right track there. Now, my where I really wanted to go with that was when in that very first go around with the one million, who were you investing in? Yeah. So I mean, the same types of people that we are investing in now. It's mm-hmm. very early, so less than a million in revenue. Sometimes very little revenue. Founders that have a software, a e-commerce company, a digital marketplace, something, you know, that was, to me, a high potential, like it could be a billion dollar business. Are any of those around still to this day? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 And we've had, yeah, so none of the first fund was in Ohio, but we had Mm. several Indianapolis companies, uh, one Pittsburgh company. um, So Jetpack Workflow, it's grown pretty well. It's based in Pittsburgh. Um, we have, it. yep, yep. We have PackSafe, which just got acquired by Ironclad out of Indianapolis. We have so Ali. Couple- that that means he got a return on his investment on that. One. I know what that means. <laughs> 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 I've got that. <laughs> Thank you, Patrick. <laughs> I've got that. that I'm still just learning the str- like the structure of the base of VC. <laughs> yeah. No, no, I got you. And then. Um, yeah, I mean, we had several in Chicago as well that, have, that are still growing. Things like Regroup Therapy, mm. um, Glidera, which got acquired by Kraken, which is a really large crypto exchange. And we actually still mm. have equity in Kraken awesome. uh, because some of that acquisition was in stock. So um, lots of companies are still active in Fund One. Some of them are sold long gone. Some of them are, are they went under, they failed. You know, yeah. we, have, we have the whole saga within just that first fund. So it's, it's, we've, we've seen it all. That's about six years ago was our first investments. So I guess, you know, you've grown a lot since your first fund. You've just recently closed a $31.8 million fund for your third fund. So congratulations. (laughs) (laughs) Congrats. I guess, you know, what are you going to look for, I guess, in this third fund in the, for the founders, right? Like, obviously, you know, on your website, you have your thesis, you have like what you're looking for, but are you going to keep the same strategy that you've always been doing? Because it sounds like it's been working out for you. Yeah. I mean, the only thing that's different is we're buying bigger chunks of these companies. We've always historically been mm. the small investor around the table, like the smaller investor you that can power. put in 25, 50, 100K into a company. Now we're investing two fifty to five hundred thousand. That's mm. quite a bit different, especially when the total round that they're raising is five hundred k to maybe three million. Mm. And we can be a much more impactful part. We can lead the round. We can take a board seat if we need to. We can like kind of steer the direction that helps steer the early direction of the company. And that's 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 the biggest change. The types of companies are very similar, Patrick, but like it's a different you know kind of involvement from our perspective. So you just bring up a good point, though, right? So all of these companies are kind of the same. They're all, like you said, it's the same types of companies. So what is it that you look for that sets them, these tech companies apart and breaks through the noise in order for you to invest? Yeah, that's like my job because that's, it's so hard. <laughs> Wait, we, we, we take on 100 to 150 companies for every, uh, we evaluate for every company that we say yes to and actually invest. And a lot of it's, I mean, some of it's obvious, like we don't want to invest in a certain space or geography or a different you know, stage of company, yeah. but a lot of it's really subjective. And, you know, we have a view on this company, maybe being a smaller outcome or less, uh, less experienced of a team. 
and those things can be, you know, like that's, that's, you know, some other person will find that deal to be investable probably. Yeah. And we just decided not to. And, you know, that's, that's, that's the trickiest part. So what is that one or two, what are those one or two things that you, you at, at M25 always look for as a foundation to say they have to check these one or two boxes in order for us to consider them? The, the highest level is it has to be headquartered in the Midwest. And that's, mm-hmm. a, you know, Patrick knows that real well. And then the other thing is we're looking for companies that are there. You know, we, we talked about this maybe a little bit, but like that are actually early stage that are actually, you know, like we look at evaluation range yeah. is kind of helping to guide us. But, you know, what's we don't want to be invested. Point two? Early we don't want to invest really in anything over 10 million post money. So that's, that eliminates a lot of the companies mm-hmm. that are raising a Series A or Series B or Series C that are you know raising a later stage. We're investing really most of these, you call them pre-seed or seed stage. doesn't really matter what it's called. That's what we refer to it as. Yeah. But that's that's kind of where we're at. Those are kind of our two biggest filter mechanisms is geography and stage. Got it. Now, what about the team? How do you decide? You know, you you. I think you've admitted something that most VCs hate to admit that is somewhat subjective, and it does come down to the team. Oh my gosh! So we've invested in teams that are very green, just out of college, no professional experience, and we've also invested in teams that have sold their last software startup for three hundred million dollars. We so that's like almost the gamut of. That's, that's pretty Back, wide, like, wide range. <laughs> yeah. wow. So the thing is, we are looking for some traits. We, we, we like to see a, a team with a diversity of skill sets, mm-hmm. you know, not just all business or not just all tech. That's we like really to see crazy. people that have a certain amount of salesmanship and storytelling that can carry a company. Because you can be a good company, but it's really hard to be an excellent company. You're getting really big, really fast. If you can't attract talent, capital, mm-hmm customers, partners in a way that, you know, has some element of charisma. I mean, that's that and that's something that's it's hard to make because there can be a lot of great companies that don't have that. But the best companies almost always have something that can, you know, that can can drive that story forward. And so but otherwise, you know, we, we love experience when we'll, we'll, we'll seek out experience. But as I mentioned, we're backing some people coming out of college, some people that, you know, they haven't really had much other corporate jobs or industry experience or other startup experience, like we are backing those. So how hands-on then are you with, let's say, a, a team that's right out of college and might not have quite as much business experience? So for us, we have we invest in so many companies, we can't really afford to be the most hands-on. Mm-hmm. So Is there that are preferred firms, too? Depends on who you are. I think some founders really like the involvement and direction of a been there, done that VC yeah. that's really involved. I always say this, I have to invest in founders that are going there anyways, and I can help them get there faster mm-hmm. versus that need a ton of direction and guidance and coaching. And that's something that most VCs won't say. Most VCs are saying, I'm going to help you get to you know, get there. And do they actually help though? Uh, you have to, you have to have the that's, founders they've invested I, in. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm just curious because I think it's easy. Yeah, I think it's easier I to say, oh, we're here to say help that, you But that's why, that's why we, we always try to under promise. It's like, Hey, here's what we can help with. I think you're going to get more value than just that. But like, we're investing in you because we think you can get there. Mm-hmm. So let's back you. You'll get some additional value add from us, but we're not going to be the ones driving it forward. So then 
Can you explain to me why VC firms like yourself then have, you know, a platform role? Uh, first off, could you explain what a platform is in VC space for for our listeners like Ali? <laughs> and then I'm embracing, just kind of, I'm embracing. And then kind of explain, you know, yeah. the whole point of that. Of course. So most VC kind of grew up just from people that were kind of my role and people deciding what to invest in and making those investments, sourcing deals, sitting on boards. We call that like the investment funnel. A lot of this platform concept came originally, originated kind of a lot out of Andreessen Horowitz, although there's been stuff before that it happened. And that's another firm, Allie, a big firm on the West mm-hmm. Coast. Um, and this is the concept of having people in your firm that are specifically there just to build like repeatable processes to help your companies. This could be helping to hire competitive talent. This could be sometimes they have like, a we help you get PR or marketing support. We help mm-hmm. you with sale. Like I've seen sales teams. I've seen a lot of elements. Ours, we focused on helping them raise, helping them connect with other founders in our portfolio and helping them hire talent. That's like the biggest. We also have some things like here's access to some discounted resources, like a HubSpot discount or AWS credit. So that, that type of access that a lot of even like accelerators will provide. But we are, you know, we're trying to focus on things that what do most of our companies need? They need capital, they need talent, and they need kind of peer advice, coaching connections. So that's what we're providing with that. And that's that's kind of a novel thing. We think that, once again, Patrick, that's augmenting a team that's already go, going to get there. We want to help accelerate that even further. Mm-hmm. But they're not going to like, our, neither me nor our platform team can help them become great founders and get to mm-hmm. the right direction themselves. So we have to invest in great founders naturally, hopefully they can get some additional fuel from us. That does make sense. You've mentioned a few times, I'm kind of switching gears here, you know, different stages now. Yeah, I was just about to ask that too, <laughs> the seed stages. We, so we're going to do a little bit of venture education here for our audience. Can you kind of explain <clears throat> the, you know, the ambiguous world of venture capital stages? Like ambiguous doesn't even begin to tell the true story. I even <laughs> stopped calling it Internally, at least, we don't really call it a seed round. We call it a seed phase. Seed <laughs> phase. I like that. Because like it's that. almost always broken out into multiple fundraising steps. Maybe you have a 250K friends and family round. Then you have a 750K pre-seed round, maybe with your first venture firm or more sophisticated investor. Mm. Whereas friends and family could just be like, what it implies, friends, family, maybe some angel investors, maybe accelerators in that round. After that, you may have a seed round, anywhere from one to three million dollars. Um, that's usually primarily institutional investor capital that are seed funds. You know, these are funds like ours. Then you may have a a round that's like between three to five. That what is that a seed extension? Is that a seed plus? Is that one of my my partner Mike, he he has created this term called seed prime. I think is it like seed super that. size? What is seed yeah. super size? Um, <laughs> there's like this concept of a Series A that used to be the first round, and that has nobody has wanted to to call the rounds a Series A round for a lot of weird dynamics that we don't really want to get into. But the the main thing is calling that first Series A round has been pushed to such a large 
round of size, 8, 10, 15, $30 million sometimes for a Series A round. That you that used to be the first round in venture capital, and now that's like the fifth or sixth race that you've done sometimes. So it's just it's it doesn't really matter what it's called. I usually define it as amount raised in valuation is kind of my two biggest things to help me figure out is this going to be a stage fit for us. But it's it's all over the place. So. so I guess, and this may be a stupid question, but like with these different phases. Right, you're talking 250k to five million. If I am coming to ask for money, does do those phases and those brackets correlate with where a startup is in their phase typically of growth? Like, is it normally is like early beginning state? Is that a is that a bad question? You guys are both laughing. It's not a bad question. It's just it should be simple and it's so nuanced of an answer. Because you can have founders that are just starting off and they'll raise five million bucks. Yeah, and that's what I'm wondering. Is it? That's why we're that laughing. It's just because it happened. Yeah. It's so just. Because I'm like, am all I overthinking this? It's yeah. all over the place. <laughs> okay, the, the main thing, the reason why this happens is unlike private equity, unlike public markets, mm-hmm. stocks, even real, you know, real estate, where there's those decisions and investments are usually defended with pretty solid financials. This is not, especially the early stage investment activity. Yeah. It's all about future potential and signal and hype. And as I mentioned, Story. storytelling. Yep. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. it's, it's a shock, shock factor. Shock. So like, then that's what makes it really hard. If you're a founder and you're like, well, I, I saw this one team raise $5 million and they only had their first customer that paid them $10 a month. <laughs> you know, why can't I raise five million? That's where I get confused because I hear stories like that. I'm like, what is happening yeah, in this situation? Have, like, first of all, those are the stories that get published because those are the exceptions to the rule. It should all say like results not typical. You should have a disclaimer on <laughs> yeah. all of those. Side effects are. <laughs> and there's a lot of investors like myself that just like don't participate in those. Like we're like, well, I need to see at least some signal that you're going to be successful before even like maybe the million dollar round, right? Yeah, and I guess those people who are investing five million in someone and a company that they have one customer that's spending ten dollars a month, like you said, they're rolling in the dough and they could throw their money yeah, at anything. That's a lot I of the big, big yeah. time coastal funds or like just un- or sometimes unsophisticated family offices and. So is that just via mostly those people who get that type of funding? Is that mostly just due to network? Network like pedigree of the like so that's the that's the that's where you hear like oh I was the fiftieth employee at Google. I left Google and raised a bunch of money. Like that's kind yeah, of yeah, because you have the Google name. It's kind of like people in uh in the Midwest are always like kind of burned Bitter. out by that, or we see that and we're like, well, those people haven't even done anything yet, and I've been grinding for three yeah. years, you know. Those Uber goers. Oh yeah. man, that's <laughs> oh the worst. Gosh. <laughs> but also, those people then also are the most likely to flame out right away, and you'll still be alive and you know having. A- so where, yeah. So then, where's your opinion of that? Where's the risk factor? I guess where where do you lie in that? You know, in the Midwest, I am the coastal guy, and in the coast, I am the Midwest guy. As in, I'm always trying to steer and influence. Like in the Midwest, I'm trying to influence a little bit more of a coastal mindset with mm. taking on a little bit more capital, being a little bit more aggressive with spend, trying to grow a little bit faster, think a little bit bigger. And I'm like, with, you know, with coastal investors, I'm like, uh, wouldn't it be nice if they burned less money? Wouldn't it be nice if, like... Can you, like, send some this way? That would be yeah. great. I mean, like, it's just, yeah, I kind of have, you know, the... 
there's some good and on each, you know, of the of the cultures and norms on each side. Mm-hmm. And I'm trying to, yeah. But generally, I'm actually the ones telling the Midwest founders to go a little, shoot a little bit bigger, mm-hmm. you know, go a little mm-hmm. bit harder, burn a little bit more, because I know they're not going to burn crazy amounts anyways like that's yeah. just not the default so you live simple lives <laughs> so let's dive into that a little bit more yeah. why the midwest you know you guys do not invest outside of the midwest i do have to disagree on your map you guys include kentucky oh come on no okay. stop it i can see kentucky from outside my window so no ohio river is the line whatever <laughs> west sider it's just the vast majority of the population is like on the borders of midwestern states so that's yeah anyways we can we can we can get into a tangent there if you want but I, uh, the opportunity here is huge. You know, it's like 10% of all U.S. venture deals, but only 5% of the capital. There's more and more unicorns. We're in like the early innings of flywheel effects of people spinning out of great tech companies Mm. like Root Insurance in Columbus or Exact Target in Indianapolis and starting their next company. Like we're in the early phases of that. So there's a lot of opportunity for especially in 2015 when I was a no-name fund, to get in the game, invest in some great companies, and start building up a great firm that's investing in some of the best outcomes of the next crop of unicorns, which are now popping up not just in Chicago, but in every city um, in the Midwest. Since he will have one soon. So how do you think that's all? How do you think the Midwest can set ourselves apart? From and you might have already just touched on this saying well, I mean, kind of the risk factor, but well, no, it's a little bit of it's a little bit of everything. I mean, I think the the biggest thing is you have this flywheel now of talent, which you know we didn't have that before. So this is like you have this flywheel of people coming out of of great tech outcomes, and then you have combining it with low cost of living and access to customers from a wide variety of industries, big fortune 500s to, you know, like the heart of the consumer America mm-hmm. of America, right. Is, you know, middle America, you had that, you've always had that, but you didn't have the tech talent, the experienced tech talent there. And like kind of the, and even, and even the money. Now we finally have more money flowing into to take risk on this. Yeah. And where is this experienced tech talent now coming from? I mean, it's, in Cincinnati, it's coming from Ahology sold, and now you have the founders starting a new company. You have people coming out of, even if it's not the be- best successful outcome, you have people coming from Assurex or EBTH or companies that were venture-backed that did see some scale. Maybe it didn't pan out as well. Maybe it did, but they're starting new companies, and that's and they don't have to be the founders even. They could be you know, early employees, they saw the growth story. And I guess my question is stemming from, you know, were, were these, cause like you said, the, the flywheel here, they're, they're kind of branching off from these one or two larger startups, but what made, do you know why they decided to settle here? And is it just because there was, there's so much competition out in the West coast and out on the coast that they were like, we get, we need, we need to switch it up. And they wanted to be trailblazers in the Midwest well, or it was just inevitable because we're yeah. in a tech world now. I'm, I'm, I don't know all of the stories of why those first larger companies mm-hmm. came and grew here. I think some of it was just the economics of the experience are, are better. Some of it's I'm from here or like I, my mm. parents are from here yeah. and this is where I need to raise my family. You hear about like the boomerang talent quite a bit. 
but what, but the, basically, I don't know why those first companies. I don't know why Exact Target and Cover My Meds happened where they happened, but I mean, you know, they somebody does. Too. But then, what the reality is is there's a lot of these that are happening, mm-hmm. and even before they sell, a lot of times, but definitely when they sell or go public, there's a huge diaspora of great talent of also money, angel investors, you know, funding companies. And that's what I'm, that's what I'm really excited about. Um, we're seeing a, a lot of that across, across the region. Now, what industries, I guess, do you see up and coming in the Midwest? I don't know if this is the answer you want, but the answer is we've seen everything be successful here because the, the, <laughs> the economy is so, it's like, it's not like we're just entertainment or not just, you know, finance or not just healthcare. We literally have, you can, you can find out of like, you name the top five companies in any industry, at least one, if not two or three are going to be based in the Midwest. And that's causing us to have a super successful, you know, trucking company in Pittsburgh, a super successful pharmacy delivery company in Columbus, a super successful swimsuit e-commerce company in St. Louis, mm. and a super successful consumer insure tech in Chicago. Like, that's, you know, that's just like four out of, of our companies. And these guys are all raised tens of millions. And one of those is a unicorn now. And it's like, yeah. where did that, you know, that, that's just the industries of America. Can you elaborate for our listeners? What is a unicorn? I don't think we've ever really just described that. It, it's a company valued at a billion, usually that hasn't sold, right? Like, if, otherwise, it, it was a unicorn, I guess like it sold, you know, yeah, usually venture back. Like we're talking about venture back startups that are valued at a billion dollars or more. There used to not be like any in the Midwest. And now there's a lot. With your experience, uh, I'm, I feel like a lot of people, again, they think when they think tech, they think the coasts, especially California, you know, out West. Do you think the mindset overall of people in, in the tech startup world, in the VC world is changing and, and that the Midwest is more appealing to more people because that oh. there's a lot to offer? Or, or, or yeah. are people still thinking very much coastal? I mean, COVID was the the yeah. was the real like shift, but it had been slowly shifting beforehand. I, when I started in 2015, I would try to network and create relationships with coastal firms mm-hmm. to show them deals in the Midwest, and they'd be like, "Ah, oh, there's no direct flights to Des Moines," or mm-hmm. like, "We don't." Have- Is that really a factor? Oh yeah, direct flights are a big deal. Like for for a rich investor. Like, yeah. are you going to connect? Are you Unless you're connect? flying into Lincoln every day, yeah. <laughs> like, I mean. Oh, don't bother me with connecting oh, in Atlanta. It's, it's, uh, <laughs> it's ridiculous. And they're not going to, especially not going to come here to write a small check. Yeah. You know, they might come here to write a $20 million check into a company that's a series, you know, well, already then, has $5 million or $10 million in revenue. But to write an angel check, they weren't coming here. They were not coming here in 2015 and 2016. And that has shifted. And now we're seeing... Like they're coming to Cincinnati. They're Will invested. it stay too? It's going to stay because at this point, people are comfortable doing most of their meetings, initial meetings on Zoom and getting point. relationships. Mm. They will usually meet in person once, but they can have board meetings some of the years. They'll have it on Zoom. Also, everybody, like so many teams are remote that even you saw there was a report just today or yesterday. It's like the, the amount of deals that were headquartered in San Francisco has dropped precipitously. Interesting. So what advice do you have to give to someone who is looking to start, you know, a startup and start a business, but wants to be connected with those people who might not be in the Midwest? 
for investment? Yeah, I mean, it's a warm intro game. And that's, that's the first thing is you have to, you have to, you can always reach out cold and that's more and more, people are more mm-hmm. receptive to that. It has to be really well-written cold emails, which take more time often than getting a warm intro, but mm-hmm. warm intros and really well-written cold emails will get you, a, a pre, will get you pretty far, but you don't, at, at this point, it's basically the same process to get funded in San Francisco as it is in Cincinnati. Like awesome. that has never been the case pre-2020 you have to have twice the metrics you have to be really well connected and get really great warm intros. You have to spend time in San Francisco, mm-hmm. fly out a week, come back, fly out another week, come back to Cincinnati for a couple of weeks. And it's just, it was, it was, time. it was much harder to get that. Okay. So with that said, speaking about Cincinnati specifically, let's kind of now funnel the Midwest down to our city. Um, what do you, what do you hope? for Cincinnati moving forward in the VC space and just overall investment? So I I mean, I think the biggest thing Cincinnati could do is to have a, a hometown unicorn. And I think it's going to happen. If it doesn't happen this year, it's happening next year. Hometown unicorn. Um, okay, hold on. You, I got to tell our listeners. On top of Gary, listeners. our FC Cincinnati <laughs> mascot, come on. I got to tell our <laughs> listeners and Allie what you told me, Victor. Well, you know, a few times before, you know, we ever recorded this, we're going to change it from a unicorn to a flying pig. Pig, yes. It's going to oh be a flying gosh, pig. Oh my gosh, yes, I forgot. I mean, that's, that's just as magical. If What's going to be our flying pig? Yeah, I think astronomer. I'm calling it. I, I've called it six months astronomer. ago. I think astronomer is going to be the Cincinnati's first flying Why? pig. It's incre- It's on an incredible growth. And tell people curve. what astronomer is. Astronomer is it's a venture backed startup in Cincinnati <laughs> that helps enterprises manage like their data flows. It's built on like kind of the, the the backs of Apache Airflow, which is a really like vibrant. It's a it's a rapidly growing open source software right now. They're going to be, they've been on a tear. They have been growing really fast. They've been around for a while and the past couple of years has been transformational. And I think it's going to happen in like 12 or 18 months, like within that That's time so period. Exciting. And that would be huge. I mean, there's other companies too, so maybe it won't be the first. I mean, I just think, you know, we're going to have something in Cincinnati and that will cause a huge ripple effect. It's caused huge ripple effects in other cities already. You can see what exact target did for Indianapolis. Mm. You see what Cover My Meds and Root has done for Columbus. You can see, you know, the examples, even even exits that are 500 million or so, like backlot cars in Kansas City, they're they're having a ripple effect. So just imagine what can happen in Cincinnati with that. That's the number one thing that we should be going for in in Cincinnati. So, what about your other portfolio companies? Can you tell us a little bit about each of them, just high level, and why, yep. you know why you picked them, and do you think they will become a flying pig? Well, Astronomer is one of them, so I'm biased. One of the most recent in Cincinnati is Abre. Uh, Abre is a K-12 mainly ed tech platform, kind of known for single sign-on, kind of being holistic mm. with uh, usage across like the parent, the teacher, the student, you know, all these apps integrate. It's just kind of cleaning up a lot of the messiness. Which is huge now in the uh, digital world that we live oh, in. Oh, yeah. They, they've been, they've been doing well. They've been, well, they're just, they were a little earlier. So that's why they're not my first bet for flying pig. But who knows? Who knows? I think, uh, oh, yeah, other, other 25 companies, Spatial. I don't know if you, if, if you remember them, but they do social data. There's, yeah, that was interesting. How was that applied? I mean, it's, it's been, they've been doing a lot for like site selection for real estate. 
but also just like they, they had it, you know, they have, they have customers kind of using them as an integration through a lot of mapping tools. So those are, and then Cladwell, Cladwell's, it's a, like, it helps you organize your closet. It's a consumer app. That's an I need that. <laughs> yeah. I think, I think a lot of it, that, that one's like a little easier to explain. We had two companies that didn't make it in Cincinnati, but are, mm. you probably are very Which familiar. Were? Family Tech used to be called Tour Monster, founded by Chris Bergman, okay. who's now gone on to found Guy Lee Games, at Game Studio and OTR. And then also Gary Darno is the founder of Complete Set. That's actually Covington headquartered, but we included. <laughs> what was Complete Set? Complete Set was basically trying to be the eBay for this, a very well organized eBay for the long tail of collectibles. Like mm. it's very hard to find, categorize, like memorabilia, uh, understand the quality of like they would be doing these Funko Pop collectibles that like there's. Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of them. They had these Johnny Cupcake T-shirts. Yeah. They had Star Wars memorabilia. It was just like the there's this huge long list, and there's no source on the internet to go to for that. So they they built up a huge following. They actually they're doing really well. And then Gary actually wrote a, a great post that I published maybe about a year ago about um, kind of his his uh, post mortem on the business. So where do you see the common theme of when people turn a leaf if they're moving towards success and unfortunately don't make it? And there's probably a lot of different reasons. The so. There's no common thing because it can fail for any number of reasons. The other thing yeah. is it's actually like a miracle when a company doesn't fail because there's so many things mm. going against them to keep them alive. Whether it's You're like, really encouraging us to become entrepreneurs, by the oh, way. Yeah, I mean, you have to be a little bit, a little, as I said, a little bit delusional to start. Yeah. To start a, <laughs> and kind of hoping for a lot of things not to go wrong that could. You know, team issues are one of the biggest. That's why people are always trying to assess, mm-hmm. uh, assess that. You know, it's we're always guessing at the customer demand and the unit economics and how much this product will is actually desired in the market mm. because you could you know there's a, you maybe have a lot of initial traction and that was just there's a small amount of users that were really looking for it but then nobody else has any willingness to pay or you test out this new model and it doesn't have great unit economics and it actually really hurts your cash flow or you know there's just there's so many so many things maybe the market size is drastically smaller or it's way more competitive, and then you can't raise more money. Like venture capitalists are like, mm, I don't want to enter this space. It's not yeah. not a very desirable space. There's so many factors. Yeah, it's uh, like I think however many companies we've invested in that have not succeeded is at least how many answers of what can go wrong because <laughs> that's that's just kind of the, the you know everything's unique a little bit. So why do you think Cincinnati is a great place then to start a startup? And does it help, I guess, founders overcome those potential obstacles and pitfalls? You know, you're going to hear, like, if you ask anybody, they kind of probably rattle off, oh, we have these great power powerhouse of, you know, these industries. We have the great cost of living, great quality of life. Mm-hmm. Those are all real. I think what Cincinnati has been really interesting is, they're one, among the most organized and supportive startup communities out there. I agree with that. Rallying resources, rallying a kind of like peers that are helping each other. It's so interesting. I don't think we even have that in like bigger ecosystems like Chicago don't always have it as well. Uh, not as well done, probably. And it's our local scene. It's local. 
I mean, it's, I just think Cincinnati has among the most, it's one of my favorite cultures in the Midwest, like micro cultures mm-hmm. in the Midwest. And it's like, it's such a, um, you know, like it, it's got, it's got a lot of history. It's got a lot of like neighborhood and community oriented. And then they've just, you can fun, they funnel that energy and you can sense it in the tech ecosystem. Um, and I think it's also across just a lot of industries in, in general, even beyond oh, yeah. tech as someone who, who has had the chance to talk with a lot of business owners, startups across, you know, even just small mom and pop shops. It's really quite wild how everybody really reaches out and helps each other in this, in this city. And it's, it's kind of unheard of talking with people who are from other cities. Well, and it's, that's why I think like, there are some things that Cincinnati doesn't have, like it doesn't have like the big research university in the state capital like Columbus does. Right. But it's amazing how, how sophisticated, how many great startups it has, how sophisticated the ecosystem is, mm. how far along it is, given it doesn't have any unicorns yet. Fl- sorry, oh, flying goodness. pigs yet. So, wow. Okay. Uh, you got to get used to using that. Um, <laughs> and, it, you know, it's, it's kind of, in some ways, it has, you know, less advantages than some of the other cities. But mm-hmm. it's 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 really punching, I think, outside, outside, its, weight, outside its weight class. So I'm, I'm pumped. I, and that's why we've made, we made six investments here. I'm like, excited to keep making more. So, okay, we're over to kind of switch gears here. You guys have something called Midwest Startups that you guys, you know, mm-hmm. empower and that's a way to obviously help bring the ecosystem of the Midwest together and yearly you do rankings. Cincinnati mm. just this past year ranked 10th and we dropped 3 spots from 7th. What's the deal? What's <laughs> happening? <laughs> <laughs> well, so we do that specifically because Every every startup ecosystem is increasing on an absolute level because everything, like tech is rising everywhere. More software yeah. jobs, more startups, more venture capital is being deployed. And we wanted to like, okay, what's, who's doing relatively better than others? Who's growing fastest? Who's seeing the most success? And, you know, frankly, and that's why we started putting the scores, not just the rank next to all of the cities. It's really tight in that like six through ten through eleven range, and it's so we're like a soft way. five. So yeah. Ali and I are gonna come <laughs> to your house. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like, well, what if we push this score up a little bit? No, but I mean, you look at some of the ones that are that are just above, and they like they had mega rounds last year. Um, they had unicorns last year. They had more capital deployed. They they have some some things that are that are like hard to compete against when when you don't have that right and so I think that's it's a marginal difference in score and we're just pulling the data so we you know we you know you can we do factor what data is important right but then we're just saying okay here's the important data we pull the data and you know we look okay well Cincinnati fell we look at why it fell and it was for some of those reasons right. Um, we need to get but it's government. it's close and like I that's why I keep saying like you it's amazing how well it's doing re- without that we'll imagine what'll happen and it's not even the first year that it, you know that astronomer becomes a flying pig unicorn um it's what happens <laughs> what happens and now I kind of merged them in my mind hey it's I like just, a li- it's like a liger <laughs> yeah, like, it's a punicorn <laughs> Now I'm getting this emoji image in my head. <laughs> but um, yeah, that. so I think like 
it's what happens in the years after that is going to be, you know, what I, what I'm kind of like. If I I want to like invest in Cincinnati now and like just see it rise after um, after you know it has some of these outcomes because it hasn't, and look at what it's done already. Of course, we're gonna you know root for Cincy all the way, and and like you said, you're you're hoping that we get. Our next flying pig, and beyond tech too, what other industries do you think Cincy could do a better job focusing on? You know, I think everybody's always like, well, Cincinnati's this consumer and retail town. I mean, I'm, I'm sh- I loved that they leaned into that with like the brandery. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I think like, I know that hasn't been like a clear path. I mean, like there's, there's not a consumer, is there a consumer investor? In Cincinnati, I think most of the investors are biotech oriented mm-hmm. or SaaS oriented, mm. you know, mm. so I don't know. I mean, not that, I mean, that's also, sorry, I'm, I'm bringing it back to tech, but I'm just thinking about that in the lens of, you know, yeah, there's not yeah. actually somebody that would back a consumer investor. A but consumer I think that adds up. to a new question. How do we get more capital into this region? Besides, yeah. obviously, the flywheel effect of getting a unicorn. You know, yeah, could, we need to get our ranking up. We can't be 10. <laughs> well, we need to be a solid, like, one, two. <laughs> um, I think that the Cincy St- Startup Week is a really vibrant way to attract people. And Centrifuge does a good job with trying to bring in outside VC firms for those events. Obviously, it's difficult in COVID, but maybe that'll come back soon. My point being is that showing, like somehow getting, if you can get these startups in front and well networked in front of VCs, and a lot of times it's physical, you know, with physical pitches and events and uh, networking, that does help. It does help. And part of it's just great startup creation and making sure that there's resources for these startups early because Almost all of that friends and family, that 250K round that I mentioned to get them off of that mm-hmm. first level, that's going to come almost entirely local. I and mean, we've been sometimes parts of those smaller rounds too. But even that can be difficult for us to even be aware of, be confident in. And we're just coming from a very short flight, a very short drive away relatively. Mm-hmm. So like those resources definitely need to be local for that first rung of startup creation. So, I mean, and that, and, you know, that'll beget more venture investment if there's some quality stuff at the earliest levels. Knowing what you know now, what would you tell your middle school gumball machine self? Oh my gosh. I, well, I would say don't eat all of your profits. <laughs> or all. <laughs> so, <don't eat> all. <laughs> or all. <laughs> um, I, no, I was. <laughs> Um, <laughs> you can't write everything off. <laughs> um, I probably would. I mean, I probably tell myself about venture capital earlier, and I would also say that, like, you know, there's there is an opportunity. Like, you know, everybody, everybody's looking for mentorship early on. Everybody's looking for how do I get to be, you know, where I want to go. And like, when I knew about venture capital, it was like, okay, I want to do venture capital too. I talked to. And like everybody's advice was not very applicable to me. And I think mm-hmm. that's something is like, if you want to do something like found your own company or being, you know, being an industry that's kind of tough to get into or, you know, both for me, being an industry that's tough to get into and found the, the company, yeah. you can't listen to most people. You can't like take most people's advice because there's not going to be applicable. There's going to be mm. a conservative path a lot of times, or it's just not going to be something that's 
doesn't apply relevant to your situation. Maybe it yeah. worked for them, but it won't work for you. So I, I, I definitely think talking to people and hearing their stories and listening to that advice, but not just so disregard take. everything Victor said this past Sorry, we just wasted your last forty-five minutes to an hour. Well, yeah, <laughs> that's the thing is if you're trying to do venture capital, you should not do exactly what I did. It's not going to work. It's going to you know everybody has to kind of form their own ways and take seize their own opportunities. I'm really disappointed, Ali, that the last question wasn't Gold Star versus Skyline. I thought that's like. The oh default. my God. We haven't even brought that up. Ugh. That has to be the default. Like, <laughs> the really Are you just. Series. I think I want to nominate that for the, you know, the last. Okay. Do you okay. even like Cincinnati Chili? Oh, hands down. I get it every time. And it's, it's almost always Skyline, except when I'm at the airport, I think they only have Gold Star. Good. You, Is that Skyline true guy? still? Yes, because that I'm is like, still yeah. true. And I will, I will do it. I mean, it's just like, like I just skyline's the one that I'm like used to. So, okay, so we'll put that to the roster. I like that. Ask it. We'll, we'll ask. We'll have to do like a series of okay, whoever our next guest is. What's the question that you want us to ask? Okay. So well, the next question could, like, will be have that as part of like your like if you have like a survey afterwards or something like, and then like just like out of all of our speakers, graders, like, here's the current rankings, like. You know, currently Skyline's up by three. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I'm all for it. I had Skyline today for lunch, so. Ah, love that it. does sound good. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> all the cheesing. I could just eat the cheese and crackers and be happy with the hot sauce, but that's a whole other topic of discussion, which we don't <laughs> need to go down. <laughs> uh, well, thank you so much, Victor. This has been great. I know I've learned a lot on your thoughts, especially about the Midwest and what we could be doing better here in Cincinnati. And uh, I'm excited to hopefully get a flying pig or a unipig. <laughs> or unipoo or whatever you call it. <laughs> Hypoallergenic unipig. <laughs> we'll, we'll get one of those here, hopefully, within the next year. So thank you so much. Awesome. Thanks for having me, guys. It was a lot of fun. Another great conversation on a venture capital. Pig. <laughs> what is it? A, a uh, unipig. A unipig. <laughs> I feel like I learned so much. And I know I say this, but it's still so new to me. But I know I can't be the only one that has some of these basic questions about, you know, seed rounds and phases and no, I'm loving it because we're building to... up this like knowledge base so that hopefully our listeners will just be so knowledgeable about venture capital that, you know, if they want to utilize this avenue, yeah. feel free to go that route. Or they might start their own venture capital firm like Victor did with just, you know, going to his friends and family and, you know, doing a million dollar fund. <laughs> I know, right? So what was your biggest takeaway from Victor? He's just so passionate about, you know, yeah. the Midwest and Cincinnati. And, you know, he just went out there and did it. And I feel like that's also their investment philosophy of just looking for founders who are going out there and doing it. That's why, mm -hmm. you know, they invest in anywhere from, you know, fresh out of college idea stage all the way to, you know, one million in, uh, you know, annual recurring revenue. And they've already sold a software company for 300 million, right? Yeah, they just yeah. want to see people out there doing it. And, you know, he did bring up a really good point. Like it ultimately comes down to the founder. An yes, investor is you not going to save you. your own path. Yeah, his last thought. Mm -hmm. Investors not going to save you. You know, that's why, yes, they have a platform to support their startups, 
But, mm. you know, ultimately they are mm. investing in the team and the people because they believe that that team and that, that person can go all the way. Amen. And so, you know, I think that would be Only biggest... you can have a successful business. <laughs> we, we're turning into like a motivational talk show over here. <laughs> <laughs> you can pave your own path to success. We're coming for you, Tony Robbins. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're so, I mean, you're so right though. And and I, I mean, I agree with him in the sense What's great about this is we're able to talk to a lot of different entrepreneurs and business owners from, you know, all different industries and everybody has a different story to tell. So hopefully people could take small nuggets here and there. But yeah, ultimately, you got to go out and you have to pave your own path because you can't replicate somebody else's story. Hopefully you can learn here and there from other people's successes and failures and maybe take those into account. Um, But only you are going to have the vision that you want to come to life. And hopefully people like Victor and his firm are able to guide along the way. And who knows, maybe we'll have our next hometown flying, flying pig. pig. We yeah. need that in Cincinnati. We need that. And I think he he brought up, like, once we have that, there will mm. be a ripple effect that will yeah. help and spur new startups and new flying pigs or uni, yeah. u, unipigs. Not and, being afraid to start and launch here, too, of, of all mm. of the things. Because he said cost of living, the digital world that we live in. You know, like you said, COVID, COVID was the start of it, but it was already happening. It just gave us – it gave everybody. It doesn't matter what industry you're in. It just gave everybody that that push that we needed that was almost inevitable. And hopefully – that money is here to stay and that investment is here to stay in a city like Cincinnati. We attract more talent. That's what I know I want to see and that we keep growing. Well, one thing that I for- we forgot to mention when we talked with him is each of oh, his yeah. portfolio companies gets a baby stuffed unicorn. So in Cincinnati, they're going to get baby stuffed flying pigs and so they can become big flying pigs and fly, fly the nest. To and- guests. <laughs> we need to start sending our guests mini pigs. If you want us to, if you want us to a design merch. a mini pig <laughs> or if you want some merch, we need to get some t-shirts going. You should reach out to us because we... Want to hear from you. Yes. And if you have any suggestions on potential merch or, you know, a better name for a, a Unipeg or a fly, you know, we could just I'm call I'm going to embroider things. overalls. <laughs> if anyone wants embroidered overalls, that's been my thing oh these my. days. Holler. <laughs> or we could get her a pocket tee, which she's adamantly against. Um, <laughs> that will be you. <laughs> but seriously, let us know. Host at whenpigsfly.fm or you could reach out to us via Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn. We're very active on those channels. So feel free to reach out. We don't bite. Um, Also, feel free to give us a rating on Apple Podcasts. And, you know, let us know your thoughts uh, via email, who you want to see, who you want to hear from. Love it. And on that note, I think it's time. It's time to prost. Prost. Cheers. Cheers. And here's some necessary legal stuff. Allie Martin and Patrick Bailey developed the When Pigs Fly podcast in collaboration with the Up Company LLC. At the time of this recording, we do not own equity or any financial interest in the companies which appear on this show unless otherwise indicated. All opinions expressed by podcast participants are solely their own opinion and do not reflect the opinions of the EW Scripts Company and its affiliates or Generator Management LLC and its affiliates or any entity which employs us. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for investment decisions. We have not considered your specific financial situation nor provided any investment or legal advice on the show. Thanks for listening and we'll talk to you next week. 
We also want to give a shout out to Claire and Christian of Moonbow. They're the two artists of our intro song, which is so catchy and gets stuck in our heads all the time. So bop over to Spotify or wherever you find your music and give them a listen. And Like the Night by Moonbow is courtesy of Silver Lake Sync. <laughs>